Oh my goodness, this is a hard Sunday for me personally because there's children in the room and I can hear my wife's voice saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. I don't generally communicate well with children, although I've tried many times. I was in uh, uh, elementary school not long ago and I was talking to a bunch of children in the class and one of them, <laughs> one of them saw that I was bald and he goes, whoa, are you and Michael Jordan brothers? <laughs> I said, no, he's four inches taller. And the kid went, oh, oh, yeah. So I think we just talk past each other much of the time. Start, though, by um, telling a story that I've told you before. Uh, when a former colleague, staff member here, friend of mine, David, was a child, he was in his back room. And he came running out one night in a state of panic and almost some excitement, and he said to his mom and dad, Mom, I think God is speaking to me. And before his mother could find an answer, his dad just went, go tell him yes. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how much trouble you wouldn't be in if you knew how to say yes right away? I, have you thought about that? How your life might be different today? What talent you might have discovered earlier and what you might not have gotten into if you'd learned earlier the habit of saying yes. <laughs> Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. And a moment later, he turned water into wine. The disciples said to the boy, give us your lunch, son. And a moment later, everybody was eating. Jesus said to Peter, Come on. And a moment later, he was walking on water. Have you thought about what might be possible if you knew how to say yes immediately? Jesus said, he who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Not the one who can recite them in a class, but one who puts them, Jesus said, he who hears my word and obeys me, I will love him. And my father and I will come and we will make our home inside of him. The power of simple obedience. Have you thought about it? Think for a moment how your own life might be different today because somebody before you had the power to say yes. Yes. I was uh, doing my 
devotions a couple weeks ago, and I came across this verse in Romans chapter 5. It's why we read it a moment ago. It says, from the disobedience of one, many were made sinners, but from the obedience of another, many are made righteous. And when I read that, I stopped and I started to see Christmas in an entirely different light. We're used to thinking of Christmas as Jesus bringing salvation into the world, but I started to see Christmas as God planting obedience right alongside disobedience. And slowly over time, the power of one person's obedience was overcoming all the effects of disobedience. If you look around you, you live in a society that is engulfed in the disobedience of one. Is it not? Yes. People are pulling apart. I'm reading it again this week while I'm looking at the impeachment hearings. And I'm seeing the tension and the strife and the name calling. And when I see violence, when I see prejudice, when I see power over people, I think of the disobedience of one. And then when I see what God does in Christmas, I see the obedience of another and I feel myself every day just torn between those two. The most powerful expression of obedience is Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. Let the record show he was not humbled. He humbled himself. That's different. Let the record show that when the triune God sat down to decide how they were going to save the world, he was in the room. It's not like the father concocted a plan and then handed it to him and in total submission, he just did as he was told. No, no. He was in the room. The obedience of Jesus came from his alignment with God, not his submission to God. That's different. Sometimes obedience means surrendering your status, your privilege, your freedom, your authority, your riches, your reputation, and becoming what you are not so that someone else can become what they are not. This is radical. It means going into a person's predicament and being with them in that predicament, absorbing death, disease, sickness, blindness, folly, alienation. Because you know that by participating with them, and then later, by them participating with you, they can be saved. Help me to understand Christmas. 
For the record, there were two births that the world had to contend with, not one. Jesus, of course, was the other. But the one was Octavian. Octavian was born about 60 years before Jesus. He was adopted as a son by Julius Caesar. And while the Roman Republic was collapsing under bloody civil wars, Octavian asserted himself and killed three of his rivals, the third being Mark Antony himself in 31 B.C. He committed suicide at the Battle of Actium. Soon after that, the Roman Senate awarded Octavian sole authority over Rome. He became their first Roman emperor. He, in turn, gave the Senate most of his authority, and when he did that, the Senate changed his name to Augustus. Have you heard the name? It has divine connotations. No one knows exactly what it means, but it has the sense of the supernatural. In fact, soon after he was appointed and named Augustus, the young leader uh, declared that his now deceased father, Julius Caesar, was a god, which made Augustus the son of God. In fact, in that time, there is an inscription that defines him as divine Caesar Augustus son of a God, imprater of the land and the sea, savior of the world. He went on a campaign to make Rome great again. Most of the Roman citizens had long since abandoned the Greco-Roman gods, and Augustus knew it, and he felt that the nation needed to be more religious, and so he started building and restoring shrines and temples, 82 of them in Rome alone. He started passing laws that made promiscuity a crime. He forced young men who weren't getting married. They were just, well, they were just having like the benefits of marriage, shall we say, in this children audience. Without marriage itself, and Augustus went in and he passed laws that forbade bachelors to inherit money. He made it hard for them to even get good seats in the Roman games. He forced them to marry and he conferred authority onto fathers who had children because he wanted to drive the birth rate up. Was a read kind of the acts of Augustus, there were 35. It's pretty impressive. I, I put him in our culture today and I think, wow, this guy we're running today, a lot of people might vote for him. I'm just saying. Rome only required a census every 14 years. Augustus took them every three or four because he wanted to see whether his policies were working. Some people believe the census at the time of Jesus' birth was one such census. It wasn't driven, they say, by taxes. It was driven to see whether or not his policies were working across the nation. Was he driving marriage and the birth rate up? 
He had no idea that God was going to use (laughs) one of his proudest moments to put a young couple in place in Bethlehem, right where they needed to be. So that a young virgin could give birth to another one who is not at all like Augustus. Hallelujah. Luke must have known this because in his writing he said, in the days when Caesar Augustus passed a decree, she brought forth her firstborn son. The angel said to Mary, don't be afraid. The child that you are bearing will be son of the most high God. Luke must have caught this and said, there is another one who claims to be the son of God. There is another one whose throne will never end and he will rule the world, but he will not do it in the way that you think. No, no, sometimes obedience means you surrender your status and your privilege and your freedom and authority and your riches and your reputation and you become what you are not so that somebody else can become what they are not. Real power, says Luke, moves into the world of Augustus and quietly, subtly lives an alternative. I like the way Chesterton put it. He said, Jesus was born in a cave, not a stable. It was the first time he said that heaven was actually under the earth, not over it. Wait for it. He says, but in this buried divinity, you can feel the world being undermined. He said the palaces and the high places are rumbling with the power from below. Even Herod himself can feel his palace sway. <laughs> Augustus is still in charge. The church today, another king has been born. Another kind of power is on the rise. Today, the fever has broken. Today, the world is no longer dying. Today, things are getting better instead of worse. If you doubt that, change your news channels. Today, the chains are falling off and prisoners are being set free. Today, the futility is over. The hopelessness and despair is collapsing into hope because God has planted another king underneath Augustus. 
And this king possesses the Holy Spirit. So while he may be small and vulnerable and slow, he will never be overcome by evil. Instead, he will overcome evil with good. You watch him. Every one of you who go off to public schools, and you don't just teach kids, you be with kids. Every one of you who does ministry inside of prisons, who gives a soft answer to wrath, who creates pockets of acceptance and encouragement and faith inside of businesses and institutions overrun by Augustus. Oh, church, every one of you are examples of the obedience of another. Sometimes I wonder when we think about mission, how much of our mission is shaped by this Western idea of always being for somebody or always working for somebody. When the mission of Jesus was just to come and be with. To sit in the midst of things he does not intend to solve today and to absorb all of the consequences that people have to live in, all the crap, to live with it himself. And why? Because sometimes obedience means giving up your status and privilege and freedom and authority and riches and reputation and becoming what you are not so that the people you live with can become what they are not. It means busting into prison instead of standing outside and shouting convictions at prison. It means breaking in and absorbing everything the prisoners have to deal with so that by participating with them and then they participate with you, they can be saved. Here's my question. Who is it that God is calling you to be with? We're not interested in your convictions. Who does he just want you to go and be with? Not to save, not to rescue, not to teach, not to feed, not to serve, just be with them.
Just sit there with them. And then while you're with them, what about Jesus would you like them to see? And what might you need to do? Maybe tomorrow, before Christmas, for them to see it.